Jay right in your face. Welcome back to episode number 25 of the Fadeaway Podcast. Who's number 25? Anthony Carter, number 25. Ben Simmons is a good 25. But yeah, episode number 25 of the Fadeaway Podcast. So uh, we so far have covered episodes one, two, and three of the of the uh, Last Dance. Dance documentary, which is you know covering Michael Jordan and, and the last year of the Bulls' reign, per se. Yeah, yeah. So let's uh, let's dive right into it, man. So what what do you want to start with? <laughs> start with episode 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 four. Actually, let's no. Let's start from the beginning of episode. I four, guess yeah, because because we, we did leave that uh, that part at the end, right? Of episode right. Three. So Dennis is at the end of episode three. Dennis is in Vegas partying. He's granted right? the forty eight hour vacation. And then when it starts in episode four, basically. It says Dennis has been gone for 24, 48, and then it goes to like 84, whatever, how many hours. So I'm assuming he was gone for like at least a week or something. Um, and then literally they had to get MJ to go and drag him out of his hotel bed or drag him out of bed and bring him to practice. Yeah. And obviously Carmen Electra is there explaining the story because she was also there. It's pretty uh, wild that he dated like a lot of these big icons in like bro, I guess music. Like, I don't even know what Carmen does to be honest with you, but uh was she a singer? I think she's a singer. I think that's what she's famous for. I know she's but, just famous. Um but he had Madonna for a few months as well. Um so he's he's been he's been known. He's so she's an American model, actress, television personality, singer and dancer. So she's uh, she does it all. She began her career as a singer after moving to Minneapolis. Who moves to Minneapolis to start a career, bro? <laughs> Where she met Prince, who produced her self-titled debut studio album. Prince? See, why, why are you hating, bro? Minnesota wow. is the spot. Yeah. I guess nowadays it's uh, Wyoming. Back then it was yeah, exactly. Minneapolis. So they, they picked the, the random spots. Uh, so what was interesting to me about that first part where Dennis came back was when MJ was explaining the... The um, I, I forget what the, the drill is called the Indian drill that Phil used to run for them. So basically, everybody is running in a straight line, and the person at the back, once they say go or the whistle blows, the person at the back has to go up and run past everybody in the line and become the first person in line. Um, basically, the first person always controls the pace of how fast the whole team is running. So MJ was kind of like he was cheesed that. Essentially, essentially, he was being punished for Dennis's vacation, right? Yeah. So, um, he makes he tells the whole team, everybody, like run or jog at a, a legitimately a walking pace. And what was the most interesting thing is they did that. You know, Steve Kerr, the whistle blows, he goes to the front. Another teammate, the whistle blows, he gets to the front easily. And I think Jordan, uh, yeah, Jordan was saying to them to walk as well. Yeah, basically yeah. at a walking pace, like go very, very, very slow. Dennis gets to the front, and he's like, Dennis just bolts. And this is fresh off a week vacation in Vegas, drinking, partying. And he's literally, like, coming to practice hungover, basically. And Dennis just bolts. And he says it takes him four laps to pass Dennis. Which is nuts. Which is, nuts. like, and that just proves, like, it just, it, it's a test to how focused Dennis actually was when he was with the team and how, you know, and that's what he says he loves about being on that team was that the Bulls let you do whatever you want whenever you needed it. If you need a time away, like, go do your thing. But when you're back, it's pure 100% laser-sharp focus. And that's what Dennis did. And that's what Dennis, I think, is really known for 
um, you know, when you talk about his career. Yeah. No, absolutely. And it's, it's pretty crazy too, because we always talk about like imagining what it's like to be a professional athlete and like how mm-hmm. you can't really take days off and not saying that Dennis took days off, but he kind of did take some days <laughs> off in yeah. terms of like, uh, disconnecting from the basketball world. So I, I, he's not really slacking. It's not like he's there and not doing his job, but the kind of person that he was, was he needed those mental breaks. He needed exactly. those, uh, you know, those very unorthodox way of taking a vacation, quote unquote. Uh, yeah. But I think to me, the most profound things are one, obviously the fact that the guy went away for 48 hours plus and yeah. uh, Carmen Electra is out here saying it was wild. We were drinking, we were having a good time. And then clips of him, you know, smoking cigars, gambling, drinking. Mm-hmm. And she goes, he's wild and all this and all that. And he goes to clubs, strip clubs. Like it's, that's a jam packed. Like when you think of a vacation, you're thinking like this guy wants to unwind and get away. And no, 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 he's going wild. Like, and then for him to come back from that of four straight days of that. And then, go into practice and run laps around everybody is actually yeah. crazy to me. And then the other crazy thing is the fact that, you know, this wouldn't have worked if Michael Pippen and Phil weren't all on board with it. No, you know, 100%. It's, it's so easy for a guy like Michael to be like, no, 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 I don't want this guy here. He's a slacker, all that crap. But for them to, to realize that under all that, this guy is – and Michael says it. He's like, he's on point all the time. Like, there's no time – where he's not giving it 110%. It's just that he's that different and he needs those breaks. So right. we need to understand that and agree with that. And it's funny because, like, my, you think Michael, like, gets so pissed too, but he's, like, I went to his room and he was, like, chuckling about it. Like, I had to pull him out of bed. And it's like they understand, like, Dennis is that, like, the odd child, whereas yeah. everyone else is, like, they miss a layup and they're getting rammed. Like, they're getting killed by uh, by MJ. That's the best part of that team is just that they understand their personnel so well that they can be like, you know what, like, this is how this guy needs to be coached or this is how this guy needs to be dealt with. And and and, it, and especially when, you know, you have your top two players buy into that sort of culture. Yeah. Like, that's not something that happens everywhere. Usually, cultures are very organizational-based. Like, you look at the Miami Heat. Like, you have a guy... You have a GM setting that culture, not the players, not the coach, right? Mm-hmm. So when you have, you know, your 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 head coach and your two main guys buy in and be like, you know what, whatever you guys need to do, go do it. But when you're here, when you come back, laser sharp. And he, and Horace Grant said it himself, he's like MJ pretty much demanded perfection. Like if you messed up, you were going to be reamed out, right? But I think that's kind of, I guess, when you look at it, it's kind of like a fair trade off, I guess you could say, because you know. They cater to all of your needs. All they want is perfection on the court, which is hard, obviously, but when you get everything catered to you and whatever you need and you can ask for it, you should perform on the, on, on the basketball court. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's just a testament to his greatness, to the greatness of the Bulls team as well. Yeah. But uh, let's let's sort of move on to the core uh, content of Episode 4. So let's start with Mr. Phil Jackson. So we did cover Phil Jackson's playing career. Uh, yeah. They played for the Knicks 11 years. They were saying he had seven good seasons, two rings. finals trips, two rings. And that was sadly the last time the Knicks were even relevant. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, Patrick Ewing relevant, but not championship contenders, we'll say. Right. Okay. So, I mean, we could say that, but I mean, because of the Knicks and the market and, and all that, like relevant for them is like winning championships or even right. making it past the first round of the playoffs. They haven't done that in years. Right. So I think they expected a bit more out of Ewing as well. 
Uh, but unfortunately, we're unable to get that during that time, obviously, MJ. to the hands of MJ and and his greatness. So Phil Jackson, um, they did kind of do a bit of an overview. So he did coach in uh, Puerto Rico. That's kind of where he started his coaching career. That was wild what he was explaining. Yeah, they were talking about a, a, the mayor that had shot the official in the leg. Yeah, and he was banned and, uh, from the games. Yeah, he was banned from the games. So that's that's pretty odd for sure. But uh, that's where he started his, his career. So I guess that's where you kind of build that aggressiveness, that competitiveness, because there's so much pressure on you to win in your hometown because fans and, and you know, clearly people of power are expecting yeah. you to win. And, and obviously coming from our backgrounds, like in Egypt is very similar in terms of soccer. And, uh, you know, every, Even in every Europe, local, like that. right. Yeah. And every local club and there's so many expectations it's like outside of this country, nobody really cares about this league, but yeah. in this country, it's like life or death. And <laughs> remember the, uh, there was that thing about the tale of two Escobars, the Colombian, uh, international soccer player who scored on his own net and then got right. assassinated when he came home back yeah, in the exactly. 90s. So like stuff like that is taken really, really seriously. So obviously that's where you can learn your competitive edge and uh, dealing with, with, you know, those kinds of situations. And then from there on, he moved into coaching in the CBA. Yeah. Uh, and he went to Albany, I believe it was, and he coached them to a championship there. So that's sort of where we're seeing, like, the early rise of Phil in different leagues and different mm -hmm. competitive. You know, he won a championship as a player. He's now coached the team to a championship in their league. Right. Uh, and then at this point, Jerry Krause is like, we got to move him. But you remember he, he then mentioned that Phil interviewed twice for the Bulls. Right, so this kind of goes back to a little bit about Phil's personality. Phil, I guess the way they made him look like in the documentary uh, is what I'm going to go off. They, made him, he, they say that he was legit a hippie, right? And he, he wrote a book. He talks about doing, um, it wasn't cocaine. I think it was something else. Ecstasy? Acid. Acid, there you go. Yeah, yeah. He talks about doing acid. He, he looked like a hippie in those old, all those old pictures. Um, but it was kind of obvious that Phil was different from how the NBA fraternity was for the most part. And because of that, in that first interview, I think he came dressed very, very, like, you know, not professional, right? And, and the way he spoke wasn't professional. And, and I believe it was Stan Albeck at that time that was the head coach, didn't really like how Phil presented himself. Um, and that's why after the first interview, he didn't get the assistant job. Uh, but Jerry Krause kind of kept close contact with Phil, they had a great relationship, kept an eye on him, and then I think two years later, an opportunity arrives to be Doug Collins' assistant, and Jerry Krause kind of coached him, like, hey, wear this, say this to Doug, this is how Doug likes to speak, this is what he likes to talk about, and then, you know, before you know it, he became this, uh, an assistant to Doug Collins. Mm -hmm. um, another it was thing an awkward that... moment there with... Uh... With Doc Collins, when uh, in the in the actual documentary, did you see that part where they're like, where he's like, yeah, in my second year, I kind of had a feeling Phil could take over this team. So yeah, that's actually kind of interesting that you say that. It kind of seems like Jerry Krause has this thing for grooming coaches prior to the firing or the Lego of the current head coach. You know, we see that we see him do that with the Iowa coach as Phil is on his way out from coaching the Bulls. And then we see that with Doug Collins, we see Jerry Krause kind of grooming Phil Jackson to become the next head coach. And what really kind of made Phil Jackson win over that spot was that he worked with one of Doug's assistants called Tex Winter. Mm -hmm. And for those of you who don't know who Tex Winter is, Tex Winter is the 
I guess I'm not, I don't think he made the offense, but he was a huge advocate of the triangle. He's offense. he created the the he triangle. Created he's it, the right? founder. Yeah, 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 he's the founder. Right. So, so I actually I yeah. actually wanted to give like a bit of an overview on that triangle. So after you go, I'll just kind of run people down. Right. The so basis of it. I um, guess. Right. So Tex and Phil Jackson actually became very close, and um, they had a very great working relationship, and. And unfortunately for Doug, Doug never accepted that triangle offense. And it was to a point where Tex and Doug would get into heated arguments where it resulted in Tex actually being banned from the bench. So Tex was actually very underutilized, and Jerry Krause hated that. So by the time Phil, uh, Phil Jackson was ready to take over, Jerry Krause was you know all in for it. And obviously Phil Jackson would implement that triangle offense and have Tex as his right-hand man, uh, right man on the bench. Uh, but yeah, go ahead, go into that triangle offense and what it, you know, the philo- the philosophy behind it is. Right, and and again, like I'm gonna preface by saying, if it could be easily explained, then anybody could beat it. So exactly. <laughs> I'm just I'm gonna try my best. Yeah. Uh, but pretty much, it's an offensive strategy that they use in basketball. Uh, the goal is to fill the five spots. So there's five positions on the court, mm-hmm. uh, and then they create good spacing. So as we saw in the the little diagram, it's almost like imagining two triangles like you're looking at the paint from a bird's eye view right and you're imagining two triangles that are connected by the one central player yeah so the one guy in the center is sort of the connector of both triangles and then you have somebody on the low and then somebody sort of near the elbow on the outside Mm -hmm. and it's just a constant rotation so every passing cut has a purpose and everything is dictated by the defense is what it says so they pretty much see where the defense is moving and then they're shifting. So when one guy cuts, the other guy knows exactly where his position is. So it's, it's sort of like an offensive zone. Yeah, it, like, it, you it's, know how... it, it's kind of like a motion offense in a way where every every key pass that's made, it just creates another motion. And then that's yeah. the, that creates the ability to move the ball yeah. around and, and you know create different angles, create different spacing, create different advantages. And then it's kind of left on... And, you know, it, it's supposed to be obviously a team-oriented offense, and that's what obviously MJ didn't like. But I feel like MJ was really able to kind of make it in his own way, in a, in a sense, where he was still able to be individually dominant. Yeah, and uh, and the thing about it, too, is uh, when they were talking about sort of running like running the triangle. So he was there. Tex Winter was there during the Doug Collins days. Yeah, when yeah. He was actually there from the beginning of Jerry Krause's days, and he says the first guy I ever hired was Tex Winter one of the best basketball minds I've ever met in my life. Uh, and he was known to have a bit of an issue with Doug Collins because he right. would berate Doug and say, you need to implement this offense. You need to implement this. You need to do this. You need to do that. And and Doug Collins eventually had heard enough of it and banned him from actually sitting on the bench. Yeah, exactly. So from that point forward, that's exactly when Jerry was like, okay, you know what, Phil? Phil. You're going to work with Tex and you're going to soak all this information in because that's when – and that's where you see sort of Jerry's brilliant mind working as well as he's thinking two, three steps ahead. Yeah. He's like, this guy, okay. So Doug Collins is going to lead us to the conference final. Great. And we've never been here before as a franchise. Awesome. While he's doing this, I'm going to pull this guy who I think is going to be the championship winner. <laughs> I'm going to put him with this guy who I think is the best basketball mind. And I'm just going to have them work on this so that after this season, we can do the swap. Right. And then he was he was sort of unapologetic in the press conference too. He's like, I have the worst kept secret in town to my left. Yeah. Like yeah. you guys have no idea. Yeah, yeah. Okay, this guy took us to the conference final, but this guy here, you don't even know what this guy's gonna bring to the table. Well it, and, it's um, it's there's a lot of criticism you face when you fire a coach after an Eastern Conference finals berth. And I think it was one of the first ones. So 
you it know, was, yeah. it, right. So it's not like you're giving that coach a chance to improve in a way. Like they've they've been improving every year. So why are you letting go of this coach right now? But you know, just some like kind of a little bit of, of, of quick facts um, of how that triangle offense actually helped that team. That the biggest thing and the biggest help that that offense did for the Bulls was it basically allowed Scottie Pippen to evolve. You know, yeah. Scottie Pippen says in the in the documentary, "I was a point guard, but." my growth turned me into a small forward. So he was kind of one of the first point forwards. And that mm-hmm. offense allowed him to become a point forward. The ball was in his hands more often. He was making more key passes. He was making more plays for people. He was scoring more, right? And yeah, yeah. the first year, Phil Jackson... positions on the court, too. Exactly. And, and the you first can year, see Phil Jackson becomes, becomes the head coach. He gets his first ever all-star berth. Mm-hmm. And you can see it statistically too. So he went from about 16 and a half, 14 points a game yeah. up to 21, 19, 22, 21, 19, 20, 19. And that's, those are like a, that's a six year span. That's their championship run right there. Mm-hmm. So eight year span rather, because they had that two year hiatus in the middle. But just to see the transformation in his game is one thing, but also the fact that the guy, Michael Jordan at this point, like people don't even understand that this guy was considered to be like Jesus, like a black Jesus, black Jesus, like man. that. That's what they called him. Like a lot of these guys coming up, literally refer to him as black Jesus because yeah. that's how much power and how much you know finesse and fame he had. So for him to come and say, okay, you know what, I don't need the ball all the time, even though I'm winning MVPs, winning contests, Defensive Player of the Year. You know, everything that we talked about last episode that he's winning. Yeah. He said, despite all this, I want to be like, I want to be like Magic and I want to be like Bird. Yeah. And I want to win because, I, and, and he says it, that discussion was eating at me. Like, I couldn't bear the idea that, yeah, I'm only that guy who wins individual accolades. I'm only the guy who scores a lot, not but a I'm winner. not the winner. And the irony in all of that is when it was all said and done, he had more rings or has more rings than the both of them. Exactly. Because Magic yeah. had five and. And actually, Larry Bird only had three. And we say only, but, I mean, LeBron has three now, and everyone takes every opportunity to berate him. But yeah. Larry Bird is in this light, you know, like he's, I'd say white Jesus, but, I mean, Jesus is technically com- complex. You know, I'm not going to get into that. But, anyways, Larry Bird was definitely viewed in the in definitely like the same perspective as Michael Jordan, especially in the Boston community, uh, yeah. the Massachusetts community. So, for sure, you know, the three rings there and then the five with magic. And then when it's all said and done, Jordan to have six and for that to be his main goal. And then obviously seeing it play out, like it's just, there's so much greatness around him. That isn't his basketball skill. And that is, I think the biggest thing that we're taking away from this is his mind, his basketball mind, his patience, his thinking. And you see him coaching guys on, on the bench. Like he's sitting there coaching Scotty Pippen. This is Scotty Pippen. Like this is not no, you know, like, Monarchs double eight. And then it's <laughs> Scotty Pippen. But one so of the biggest that, things one of the biggest thing is that you I mean like you get essentially the biggest icon in the world, the best basketball player ever, to buy into a new system, a new offense. Like that's not yeah. easy, right? And you know, Mike Mike says like I hated Phil because he took the ball away from my hands. And imagine, you know, when you're when you're averaging thirty seven, thirty eight points a game, like it's a tough pill to swallow to be like, hey, like Pass the ball more often. Trust your teammates. It's not all about you. That's not yeah. the easiest thing to do, right? But obviously, you know, MJ realized that he can't do it by himself. Offenses are and defenses that are matched up against him key in on him, which make it a lot harder to win, right? So for him to be able to accept that and and really buy into that system and then be able to 
you know, work with Phil to make his teammates better and to teach his teammates that like that alone is a huge, huge deal. Yeah, absolutely. And then uh, sort of this this transformation kind of takes us to the, the probably the most iconic series in in that Bulls history, like the pre-championship Bulls, but the finally, you know, beating the Pistons. And that's something that they had lost, you know, three years in a row. Sorry, what even, were you going to say? Even a little bit before that, you know, they talk about how long it took them to actually be adjust the triangle offense. They said about a year. And then, so the year before they actually get to their most iconic pre-championship series, they have a chance to beat the Pistons in, in game seven, right? And then that's the famous, or I guess now famous, Scotty Migraine game. So I want yeah. to talk a bit about that, you know, like, there's there's one of two ways you can go about this migraine game, either Scotty actually had a migraine, or Scotty felt the pressure. Nervous. He felt the pressure, you know. And there's nothing in Scotty's career that would suggest like that he was nervous, because he's never been he's never shied away from you know any sort of spotlight, or he's never ever you know crumbled in a in, in a in a in a intense moment. But this is a young pre championship Scotty Pippen. Is it really a migraine? Is it really, or is it pressure? You, you will obviously will never know the real answer, but imagine yeah. a guy like MJ, like you're so close, you're right, you're right, right, right there, and then you're literally your right hand man kind of falls short. Like yeah. that's a that is a tough thing to swallow, and he says himself, "It is a tough." Pill to I was swallow, devastated especially when the, I was when he has the flu bus. games. You know, like he's played through the flu and he plays so like for him to to sit there and think like. Not everyone is like me. Yeah, and it's kind of a sad reality. It's like, man, like, okay, I get it. You have you have a migraine, but man, if you have a migraine, it's hard, like, 100%. to bear light, to hear noise, like, and and they, and even John Sally said it. Like, he doesn't say anything useful, but this is probably the one thing that he said that I thought was like very profound. And he's like, for you to not be able to see, for you to be feeling nauseous and have to go up against Dennis Rodman. I know, yeah, exactly. A young Dennis Rodman too, like prime Dennis Rodman. So it's not even like it's not it's not a thing to knock him again. And they were still right in the game. And this is the Pistons too. So uh, who ended up? I think they ended up uh, winning the championship that year because yeah, they won the yeah. two championships. So losing to the champion in Game Seven and the year before they were the only team to beat them in the playoffs. Exactly. Like the Pistons went undefeated outside of the, the Bulls series. So right. it's 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 crazy, and we're we're seeing the buildup. But what happened after the game? is probably was going to end up ha- like we're going to come back to talk about this because we saw Jordan shake everyone's hand. Yeah. Give everybody a hug, Respect. say, you know, congratulations and they even towards the end of the episode they panned how the in 1989 he did the same thing. In 1990 he did the same thing. Right. Uh and then we'll we'll talk about sort of what that means, but right. let's let's go to the 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 iconic series. Right. So they lose the obviously they lose yeah, they lose in game 7. The year before, everybody basically reports to the gym the next day to get bigger, to get the stronger. The next day. The next day, which is huge. Like, that just shows the work ethic and the, the, the determination that that team, have, that team had. And then they get to the Eastern Conference Finals once again against the Pistons once again. And lo and behold, it's a quick slap. <laughs> like a 4-0 sweep, no questions asked, we're taking this. Four zero. Let me ask you this though: What if, uh, what if Kevin Durant, after losing to the Warriors, sat down and worked out in the, in the weight room? What would that have meant for for OKC? That, that's the what thing. If, it, it's a whole. It's a totally different mindset, I guess that that, that Jordan has, right? And then, it, it, as opposed to 
I'm not sure about the mobility of players back then. And it was, you know, like they say, it was frowned upon. Like, I'm surprised Dennis was able to go to the Bulls. Like, well, also, it wasn't it wasn't a players' league at the time. It was uh, a franchises' league. Exactly, so franchises the made the less. made the calls. Yeah, exactly. And it's hard to demand a trade. They're like, okay, you can just leave. Like, unless right. you're really like Michael Jordan, maybe Scotty. They don't really care. Exactly. Like Horace Grant can't demand a trade. It's like, <laughs> what? <laughs> but yeah, and, and um, go, go ahead. ahead. No, I was gonna say like we were talking about this sort of last episode too with what you mentioned the the moment. Like that turning moment where Rodman gives uh, Pippen a two hand shove after the missed layup and the foul, right. yeah, and he falls down and he just sits there, you know, just super casual, chewing Collects his gum, himself kind of thing, and then you gets know, up. yeah, everyone they help they help him up, goes to the free throw line, and they they all said it. Even guys from the Pistons said at that very moment when he was not shaken, we, were we knew it was over. <laughs> and now, I granted, it was game four. You were down three zero. You were in. The third quarter, like I get it, you knew it was over, but just that moment of man, all these years of getting my butt handed to me, you know, hit, hitting the floor hard and and getting killed when I'm trying to go up for a layup, and now it's like I I'm asserting physical dominance over you, and I don't care what you do to me. And that point, like, there's nothing you could do to stop somebody with that drive, and and to have an entire roster. With that built, drive, built like that, right? Like it's crazy. You know, like outside of outside of Scotty and and Michael, nobody even came close to averaging fifteen points a game. I guess Horace Grant was right there at thirteen. He was like, the third fiddle, yeah. But yeah, yeah. They, you know, I, like also when not, these guys it, are the, just the, the points. Like the game would go up to one hundred twenty points back then as well, right? So thirteen yeah. was a lot bigger than a thirteen is now. Fair, fair. Right. I'm just trying to make the point of like these guys are mad, like they're all role players, and they, yeah. they took it upon themselves to get better, and they took it upon themselves to get bigger, more aggressive, and to each each of them mentally on the same page of not being phased. And there was a thing where Horace Grant, you know, was catching elbows, and and a lot of people don't understand, but like basketball back in the day, coaches, good coaches, used to teach you how to get away with doing certain things. Yeah, like when when you're being guarded, to, you know. If if your one elbows in the blind spot to give them a little hit, you yeah. know, shake them up a little bit, yeah, you know, pull you know, pull on their jersey, you know, do whatever you need to do, pinch them. Like there's so many things that these coaches taught these players that these are things you can get away with in a game that'll frustrate your opposition, that'll make them do stupid things that the refs will see. But you just got to make sure you don't get seen doing them. And a lot of times, Horace Grant was the recipient of these you know, filthy acts because it's clear that Chuck Daly was that kind of coach and it's clear that a lot of the Pistons were those kinds of players. Mm-hmm. So, obviously, you give him a little tap here and there and he would fall to the ground, get really upset, try to fight back and to get him and, and others on that same page of like, don't show that they have the best of you. Don't yeah. show that you're dominated. Just do your thing, move on and we'll, we'll figure the rest out later. So, it's, it's just profound. It's uh, like... The greatness and, and the journey that this team took, it's just it's refreshing rather than seeing a team being put together and, you know, all these talented players come together and do really well. Like, for example, the Miami team, like I felt like there was no buildup for the Miami team. Like it was just a one year against Dallas and then they, they went on their run and then he moves to Cleveland. It's the same thing. But it's like Jordan and Pip were together for years and years yeah. and years and not succeeding. And then finally, together, they break through, and together, they win six championships. So, like, that, to me, is, is sort of the difference maker between those two. Right. Now, we, you know, the the Bulls get past the Pistons. 
four games. Well, we got we gotta we gotta give the the uh, Jerry Cross cameo some love on the on the team jet. Right oh, after the... <laughs> bro, first of all, before we oh yeah, before we like move further, they were they were celebrating like they won the chip already. After yeah. the beating well, the they said it. Like, it, it, was like, it felt better. They fe- it felt better to than winning the championship to beat the Pistons and to watch you them finally, walk off the court so salty. Finally, get the monkey off their back, and that's what we're gonna get into right now. They walk off the court like with Bill Lambier goes to Isaiah saying, "We're walking off. We're not shaking hands." Now, and even what makes it worse to me, like I don't know if anybody else has noticed, but when Isaiah is walking past the players, he kind of ducks. Ducking. He's ducking a little bit, right? Like kind of hiding that he's walking off the court. So if you want to, you know, debate, you know, I didn't shake hands because I didn't want to, blah, 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 or it, it was, was the norm. It was, it it was, was the norm. norm at the time. He if says. it was the norm, you would walk out with your shoulder, like your shoulders out, chest up, head up high, not be ducking. He, he was ducking in a way where he was embarrassed almost and ashamed in a way. Man, he's such a, he's talking so much crap. And even Jordan <laughs> knows it too when they show because he's like, it wasn't done like that. Well, bro, they showed footage of the last three years he played against his team. And every single time you beat them, they congratulated you. Exactly. So, first of all, don't compare, you know, your, your one series with the Celtics to your relationship with the Bulls because whether you want to believe it or not, you had a rivalry. And there is an expectation there and a certain level of respect that you owe them. Like they have, they shook your hand after you beat their ass like four years in a row. Exactly. And the least you could do is shake their hand, like, and you're gonna walk off with eight seconds left. It's just, it was so cowardice, and and the fact that he's so unable to take ownership of it still till today. That's like, embarrassing, man. That's the most embarrassing part of it. Is like, what are you sitting here? And and the best thing, Jordan's like, I don't care what you show me. He's definitely gonna be talking some trash because. He had, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. He had time enough to think time about to it. think about it. Yeah. He had, like enough public outrage against it for him to reconsider his actions. Like, there's nothing you could tell me. And then obviously, he takes the camera and says, "Oh, well, if we knew yeah. all the people would be upset, we would have done it." Well, that doesn't mean anything. Like that literally doesn't mean it. You made a decision. You messed up, Own and it. it's fine. It, like nobody's like I don't think Jordan's losing sleep over this. He even said it. He's like, I, it felt great watching them. Yeah. Like, like after getting their asses kicked, just walking past our bench. Like so be it. He won six championships, and he does not care about not getting his hand shaken. When Horace Grant goes a bunch of bees, bro. Yeah. When he laughs. It looks so funny, man. It was so funny when he said it. Yeah, bro. It's <laughs> it's so accurate. Like that is the best way to put it. That and and when I was watching them do it. And right when Isaiah did that little duck thing, I was like, I said the same thing. I was like, man, these guys are a bunch of... This guy's ducking. Like, that's like... That's what made it worse. He knows he's wrong. He doesn't want to own it. And and it was wrong. And I don't know. Because somebody posed a question on, like, a Facebook group. I'm in there like... Oh well, if if LeBron was crying about getting his hand not getting his hands shaken, what would you guys say about it? But it's like, man, like for Jordan, first of all, he's not crying about it. It's a documentary, and they one thousand percent asked about it because it's an iconic moment, right? So he's not the one bringing it up because he's losing sleep. Mm-hmm. That's first and foremost. Second, it's not outlandish for him to ask the team that you know they had that rivalry with the constant being beaten in the playoffs every year show respect to return the favor of showing me respect like yeah. i showed you respect i wish you luck in your in your run because at the end of the day that's what it's all about like there's a mutual respect that we're all pros here and yeah. you're just closer to getting that championship and for them to just like to walk wow. out like that it was just it's so weak. embarrassing weak move man at, at home too yeah, at home. Yeah, it's yeah, not like they exactly. were on the. No, no, no. You're at home, man. Yeah. Like you don't need to leave right now. It's not like the the crowd is not going to rush the floor and beat you. 
Embarrassing. And because uh, he brings up the Celtics thing too, but the Celtics were in Detroit, so there could be a thing of like you guys need to leave before the fans take over the court and do some crazy enough. stuff. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I don't know if that's confirmed, but that is definitely something to consider. But you're you're on your home floor; nothing's gonna happen to you. What's also funny is that when he explained that Kevin McHale story, where Kevin McHale's walking off the court, he almost grabs Kevin McHale in a way where like, "Hey, shake my hand." Yeah, yeah. You know I was what just I mean? That. How are I was you? Like, gonna... You had that expectation too. Exactly. How are you gonna, you know, try? First of all, how are you gonna not shake hands? Think about how you're gonna try to defend it and use a Kevin McHale story when you brought in what he says is that he brought Kevin McHale back in and sent you to talk to him and shakes his hand. Like yeah. you expected it too, right? So just own it. I'm sorry. Say I was wrong and move on, man. That's it. Does that keep yeah. he, he'll defend it to the death of him? Yeah, it's it's very unfortunate. He has a lot of demons that he has to yeah, for real. tackle from from yeah. that from that day and age. But yeah. this kind of moves us to the uh, sort of the iconic first championship. Yeah, uh, because this is obviously the moment Jordan breaks through and becomes on that level with Larry and uh, Magic. And and what better way to do it than going up against Magic, right? And so let's talk about that. So I know they they lost the first game. But they didn't. Uh, they were the nervous. Finals? He says they were nervous the first game, but and they didn't play well. But they only lost by a bucket. Yeah, they one. lost. A, it was a three pointer that came at the end of the game. Right. It was. Uh, they ended up winning by two. So yeah. yeah, they were. The Bulls were up one, and then somebody hit a three. Right. Jordan had thirty six in game <laughs> one. Uh, but then from that point forward, not only did they not look back, but they made a massive adjustment. Right. Uh, if you paid I attention to that, the yeah, the Scotty Pippen adjustment on Magic. Uh, Magic 94 Johnson feet. picking him up 94 feet. Is it 92 or 94? Uh, I believe it's 94. I don't know. Whatever. We'll say 93 just to be in the middle. But <laughs> <laughs> he's picking him up full court. And that is something that, A, has never been done against Magic. Yeah. B, is hard to execute against a player like Magic. And just to put it in perspective to everybody, like prior to that series, Magic had averaged double-digit assists for the previous nine years. Law. Okay, wow. so from eighty two, from eighty two, he's been in the double digit assists in the year before he was at nine and a half. That's okay? nuts. So it's it's incredible. It's uh, beyond incredible. And he so, shut him down. Yeah, yeah. So on the season, Magic was nineteen and thirteen. That was his average: nineteen points, thirteen assists, yeah. and seven rebounds. Yeah. And uh, from the field, his field goal percentage. Well, three point was thirty two, but everyone was kind of yeah. weak there. But shot forty eight percent from the field. Nice. Okay. So now we bring it back to the – I want to look at the box score here yeah. for the final series. And all in all, all in all, he averaged 18.6 points, so right there with his scoring, with his scoring average. 12 assists right there with his assist average. Damn. But his field goal percentage is 43%. So mm-hmm. a 5% decrease in field goal percentage for a guy who's a volume shooter or volume – scorer for example because he's scoring about 20 points a game yeah that's roughly about 10 10 buckets a game considering he doesn't really shoot that many threes right and now you're shooting at a five percent less efficiency and we're not even taking into consideration that he could have had a great game one before that adjustment so we're not looking at just games two to five so that adjustment by phil by scotty to to take on that matchup that is what won them 100% won won them the the championship what, like, there's what, no question what are his turnovers like Magic. Um, in the in the season in this, or in the series so in the series his turnover rates where are you at Magic? 
Magic, turnovers. He had 22 in the whole series. Over so five I guess games. over five games, that's about like four. Four a game. Which, I mean. It's decent. I, I imagine that's I think we're desensitized a, by James Harden. We are. So, I, I'm, you know, when you take it back, when you kind of take it back to that time and that era, I, I don't think Magic averaged four turnovers a game. So, just to put it in season. perspective, like, as a, as a roster, obviously yeah. Magic's dealing with the ball the most, but Vladdy was second with 15 turnovers, oh, wow. and then nobody had more than eight. So, yeah. uh, and then if you want to look at the Bulls turnover-wise, like, Scotty had 20, oh, wow. 20 turnovers. Michael had 18, and then volume. a few of them had, like, you okay, know, Bill Carr had, like, 14. Bad. So, so not, not too bad, but, again, like, it's really hard to, to paint the full picture without having watched it. And right. To, and Magic is a great player. Like, Magic is a Hall of Famer. Magic's a five-time champion. Like, there's so many things that you can't take away from Magic's game. So, obviously, it's going to be hard to shut him down. Uh, it's going to be, you know, hard to disturb him, as with many of the greats. So, you can look at a lot of LeBron's box scores from series that he struggled in and say, well, like, statistically, he did pretty well. Yeah, very But true. you didn't really watch him get disturbed and yeah. be uncomfortable and have to take harder shots and have to work harder for the, for the shots that he usually gets a lot easier. And that's exactly what Scotty did. He annoyed him. Like, it's not like he stole the ball from him, but he pressed him from baseline to baseline. So that's that's an extra half court of defense that he's not accustomed to. Right. Made it hard for him, made so, him more tired. Yeah, it, now. it throws it, him. The big effect on him. Um, it throws him off his game for sure. Two, I guess, two other iconic moments that happen in the season series that lead to their first ring. Um, one is just literally a play. You know, there's the iconic uh, Michael Jordan hand switch in the air that happens yeah. in game two where he snaps um, since they lost game one. And then the, the last thing is the game five, that which basically what is one of them that game is Phil asking who's open to MJ. And forcing MJ to pass the ball to Paxson. Paxi. And that's a that's another thing where I was talking about when you get a guy of MJ's caliber to buy into your system, like that's not an easy thing to do. And you can see even now MJ is reluctant to give away the ball. He doesn't want to give away the ball, right? But he passes Paxi that first one, he hits it. He goes, Okay, I can trust you now. Keeps passing, keeps passing. I think Dang. at one point, what, what do you have? What did Paxi have in that game five? At one point, he had I, at one point it was eighteen points. Right. At one right. point it was the eighteen. And this is a role player killing him, and that's because Phil's genius. That's because of MJ's buying in. That's yeah. just the how closeout shows. game though was the Pippin game. He had thirty-two and thirteen. Ooh, Pip. Yeah. 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 Crazy. Crazy. So crazy there's just so many different things that went into winning that first championship, and then you see MJ and. In the locker room, the raw emotion. They all of them never knew that MJ could ever cry. So and Pax he, finished the game with twenty points, shooting seventy five percent from the field. Yo, that's he was, fire. He was nine. He was nine of twelve from the field. Twenty points. Yeah, I mean, I'm passing him the ball if he's doing that. Yeah, Scotty was thirty two and thirteen, forty five percent. He shot eleven of twelve from the free throw line. Oh, not damn. Wow. Yeah, that is crazy. And then Jordan had thirty and ten. Only classic, only 20% from the field, yeah. It's just another game, yeah. And then, so then, there there you have it. You know, the, the Bulls win their first ring. You see MJ crying, hugging that trophy. Finally, it says a seven year struggle. Finally, he's there with Larry and Magic, yeah. And just to put the little icing on there, Magic Johnson's closeout game, he has 16 points, 20 assists, and 11 rebounds. Dang. But he shot thirty three percent from the field, four of twelve. Wow! So that's where you see that's really, really where you see the struggle. The Scotty effect. You know, a lot of 
the, yeah, exactly. Like thirty three percent. That's bothersome. Yeah, yeah. So that is uh, that's sort of where we're at there, uh, and then from there. I mean, everything else is, you know, we all know the results and they end up winning all those championships. So we're excited to see the the in-depth runs, but to see him, you know, celebrate with his dad and yeah. just hold that trophy. And like you said, having that sort of emotion that nobody's accustomed to seeing from Jordan yeah, and from those guys, like, it's it's incredible. Like, I even had some chills watching him saying, like, I'm so happy and I'm crying. and Cries on Magic's shoulder, just, basically, too. Like It was it, profound, yeah. It was, it was great and I enjoyed it and... I love this doc, man. Yeah, it's actually amazing. And that's another it's thing I want to go back to, to Isaiah. MJ is crying on Magic's shoulder, and Magic is, like, happy for him. Like, I'm thrilled way. to have lost to this guy. Thrilled to have lost to this guy. And Isaiah still can't even admit that he was wrong. Like, crazy, bro. Come on, man. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's definitely all excuses. It's nonsense. But uh, that pretty much sums it up for the part four of this documentary. Uh, I think yeah. uh, five and six are coming out tomorrow night or whenever we release Sunday night. Sunday night, uh, Monday for we'll, Canadians. Yeah, we'll tackle them. Uh, we'll tackle them next week for you. So uh, if you have any questions, let us know. And shout out to John. He he was very happy with our response and uh, thanked us for doing the research into the, <laughs> the, the. I think it was the eighty-five draft at the time. So yeah. shout out to John and uh, let us know if you guys have any questions. And for now, enjoy your weekend, and we'll come back at you next week. Peace.